Homily 6 of Homilies of St. John Chrysostom on 1 Corinthians, Part 1. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Homily 6, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing was ever more prepared for combat than the spirit of Paul, or rather, I should say, not his spirit, for he was not himself the inventor of these things. But nothing was ever equal to the grace working within him, which overcometh all things. For sufficient, indeed, is what had been said before to cast down the pride of the boasters about wisdom, or rather, though it were but a part of what had been said, but to enhance the splendor of the prize, he contends anew for the points which he had been affirming, trampling upon the prostrate foe. Look at it in this way. He hath brought forward the prophecy, which saith, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. He has shown the wisdom of God, in that by means of what seemed to be foolishness, he had destroyed the philosophy of the Gentiles. He has shown that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. He hath shown that not only did he teach by untaught persons, but also chose untaught persons to learn of him. Now he showeth that both the thing itself which was preached and the manner of preaching it were enough to stagger people, and yet did not stagger them. And thus not only saith he, are the disciples uneducated, but I myself also, who am the preacher. Therefore he saith, and I, brethren, Again he useth the word brethren, to smooth down the harshness of what he saith. Came not with excellency of speech, declaring unto you the testimony of God. What then, tell me, hast thou chosen to come with excellency? Wouldest thou have been able? I indeed, had I chosen, should not have been able. But Christ, if he had chosen, was able." but he would not, in order that he might render his trophy more brilliant. Wherefore also, in a former passage, showing that it was his work which had been done, his will, that the word should be preached in an unlearned manner, he said, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, but far greater, yea, infinitely greater, than Paul's willing this, is the fact that Christ willed it. I do not therefore, saith he, by display of eloquence, neither armed with arguments from without, do I declare the testimony of God. He saith not the preaching, but the testimony of God, which word was itself sufficient to withhold him. For he went about preaching death, and for this reason he added, For I determined to know nothing among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. This was the meaning he meant to convey, that he is altogether destitute of the wisdom which is without. As indeed he was saying above, I came not with excellency of speech. For that he might have possessed this also is plain. For he whose garments raised the dead, and whose shadow expelled diseases, much more was his soul capable of receiving eloquence. For this is among things which may be taught, but the former transcendeth all art. He then who knows things beyond the reach of art, much more must he have had strength for lesser things. 
but Christ permitted not, for it was not expedient. Brightly therefore he saith, For I determined not to know anything, for I too, for my part, have just the same will as Christ. And to me it seems that he speaks to them in a lower tone, even than to any others, in order to repress their pride. Thus the expression, I determined to know nothing, was spoken in contradistinction to the wisdom which is without. For I came not weaving syllogisms, nor sophisms, nor saying unto you anything else than Christ is crucified. They indeed have ten thousand things to say, and concerning ten thousand things they speak, winding out long courses of words, framing calculations and argumentations, compounding sophisms without end. But I came unto you, saying no other thing than Christ is crucified, and all of them I outstripped, which is a sign, such as no words can express, of the power of him whom I preach. Verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. This again is another topic, for not only are the believers unlearned persons, not only is he that speaketh unlearned, not only is the manner of the teaching of an unlearned cast throughout, not only was the thing preached of itself enough to stagger people, for the cross and death were the message brought. But together with these there are also other hindrances and dangers, and the plots, and the daily fear, and the being hunted about. For the word weakness with him in many places stands for the persecutions, as also elsewhere. My weakness, which I had in my flesh, ye did not set at naught. And again, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmity. What infirmity? The governor under Artes, the king, kept the city of the Demoseans, desirous to apprehend me. And again, wherefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Then saying in what he added, in reproaches, in necessities, in distresses. And here he makes the same statement. For having said, and I was in weakness, etc., he did not stop at this point, but explaining the word weakness, makes mention of his dangers. He adds again, and in fear and much trembling, I was with you. How sayest thou, did Paul also fear dangers? He did fear, and dreaded them excessively. For though he was Paul, yet he was a man. But this is no charge against Paul, but the infirmity of human nature, and it is to the praise of his fixed purpose of mind, that, when he even dreaded death and stripes, he did nothing wrong because of this fear, so that they who assert that he feared not stripes not only do not honor him, but they rather abridge him greatly of his praises. For if he feared not, what endurance or what self-restraint was there in bearing the dangers? I, for my part, on this account admire him, because being in fear, and not simply in fear, but even in trembling, at his perils, he so ran as ever to keep his crown, and gave not in for any danger, in his task of purging out the world, and everywhere both by sea and land sowing the gospel. Verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, that is, had not the wisdom from without. Now if neither the doctrine preached had anything subtle, 
and they that were called were unlearned, and he that preached of the same description. And thereto was added persecution and trembling and fear. Tell me how did they overcome? By divine power. And this is why, having said my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, he added, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. Dost thou perceive how the foolish of God is wiser than men, and the weakness stronger? They, for their part, being unlearned, in preaching such a gospel, in their chains and persecution, overcame their persecutors. Whereby, was it not by their furnishing that evidence which is of the Spirit? For this indeed is confessed demonstration. For who, tell me, after he had seen dead men raising to life, and devils cast out, could have helped admitting it. But seeing that there are also deceiving wonders, such as those of sorcerers, he removes this suspicion also. For he said not simply of power, but first of the spirit, and then of power, signifying that the things done were spiritual. You see, it is no disparagement that the gospel was not declared by means of wisdom, Rather, it is a very great ornament. For this, it will be allowed, is the clearest token of its being divine, and having its roots from above, out of the heavens. Wherefore he added also, verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Seest thou how clearly in every way he has set forth the vast gain of this ignorance, and the great loss of this wisdom? For the latter made void the cross, but the former proclaimed the power of God. The latter, besides their failing to discover any of those things which they most needed, set them also above boasting of themselves. The former, besides their receiving the truth, led them also to be joyful in God. Again, wisdom would have persuaded many to suspect that the doctrine was of man. This clearly demonstrated it to be divine and to have come down from heaven. Now when demonstration is made by wisdom of words, even the more ordinary sort oftentimes overcome the better, having more skill in words, and falsehood outstrips the truth. But in this case it is not so. For neither doth the Spirit enter into an unclean soul, nor having entered in, can it ever be subdued, even though all possible talent of reasoning assail it. For the demonstration by works and signs is far more evident than by words. But one of them may say, perhaps, if the gospel is to prevail and hath no need of words, lest the cross be made of none effect, for what reason are signs withholden now? For what reason? Speakest thou in unbelief, and not allowing that they were done even in the times of the apostles? Or dost thou truly seek to know? If in unbelief, I will first make my stand against this. I say then, if signs were not done at that time, how did they, chased and persecuted and trembling and in chains, and having become the common enemies of the world, and exposed to all as a mark for ill usage, and with nothing of their own to allure, neither speech nor show, nor wealth, nor city, nor nation, nor family, nor pursuit, nor glory, nor any such thing, but with all things contrary, ignorance, meanness, poverty, hatred, enmity, and setting themselves against whole commonwealths, 
and with such a message to declare, how, I say, did they work conviction? For both the precepts brought much labor, and the doctrines much dangers. And they that heard and were to obey had been brought up in luxury and drunkenness, and in great wickedness. Tell me then, how did they convince? Whence had they their credibility? For as I said before, if without signs they wrought conviction, far greater does the wonder appear. Do not then urge the fact that signs are not done now as a proof that they were not done then. For as then they were profitably wrought, so now profitably are they no longer wrought. Not that it necessarily followeth from discourse, being the only instrument of conviction. But now the preaching is by wisdom. For both they who from the beginning sowed the word were unprofessional and unlearned, and spake nothing of themselves. But what things they received from God, these they distributed to the world. And we ourselves at this time introduced no inventions of our own. But the things which from them we have received, we speak unto all. And not even now persuade we by argumentation, but from the divine scriptures, and from the miracles done at that time. We produce the proof of what we say. On the other hand, even they at that time persuaded not by signs alone, but also by discoursing, and the signs and the testimonies out of the old scriptures. Not the cleverness of the thing said made their words appear more powerful. How then, you will say, was it expedient that signs should be then, and now inexpedient? Let us suppose a case, for as yet I am contending against the Greek, and therefore I speak hypothetically of what must certainly come to pass. Let us, I say, suppose a case, and let the unbeliever endure to believe our affirmations, though it be only just for the time of conflict. For instance, that Christ will come. When then Christ shall come, and all the angels with him, and be manifested as God, and all things made subject unto him, will not even the Greek believe. It is quite plain that he will also fall down in worship and confess him God, though his stubbornness exceed all reckoning. For who at the sight of the heavens opened, and him coming upon the clouds, and all the congregation of the powers above spread around him, and rivers of fire coming on, and all standing by and trembling, will not fall down before him and believe him God. Tell me then, shall that adoration and knowledge be accounted unto the Greek for faith? No, on no account. And why not? Because this is not faith, for necessity hath done this, and the evidence of the thing seen, and it is not of choice, but by the vastness of the spectacle the powers of the mind are dragged along. It follows that by how much the more evident and overpowering the course of events, by so much is the part of faith abridged. For this reason miracles are not done now. In that this is the truth, hear what he saith unto Thomas. Blessed are they who have not seen, and yet have believed. Therefore, in proportion to the evidence wherewith the miracle is set forth, is the reward of faith lessened. So that if now also miracles were wrought, the same thing would ensue. For that then we shall no longer know him by faith. Paul has shown, saying, For now we walk by faith, not by sight. As at that time, although thou believe, it shall not be imputed unto thee, because the thing is so palpable. 
So also now, supposing that such miracles were done as were formerly, for when we admit things which in no degree and in no way can be made out by reasoning, then it is faith. It is for this that hell is threatened, but is not shown. For if it were shown, the same would again ensue. Besides, if signs be what thou seekest after, even now thou mayest see signs, although not of the same kind, the predictions without end, and on an endless variety of subjects, the conversion of the world, the self-denying course of the barbarians, the change from savage customs, the greater intenseness of piety. What predictions, you will say, for all the things just mentioned were written after the present state of things had begun. When, where, by whom, tell me. How many years ago? Will you have fifty or an hundred? They had not then, a hundred years ago, anything written at all. How then did the world retain the creed and all the rest, since memory would not be sufficient? How knew they that Peter was crucified? How could it have entered the minds of men who came after the events had taken place? To foretell, for instance, that the gospel should be preached in every part of the whole world, that the Jewish institutions should cease and never return again. And they who give up their lives for the gospel, how would they have endured to see the gospel adulterated? And how would the writers have won credit, miracles having ceased? And how could the writings have penetrated into the region of barbarians and of Indians and unto the very bounds of the ocean, if the relators had not been worthy of credit? The writers, too, who were they? When, how, and why did they write at all? Was it to assume glory to themselves? Why then inscribed they the books with other men's names? Why? From a wish to recommend the doctrine, as true or as false? For if you say they struck to it as being false, their joining it at all was out of all likelihood. But if as being truth, there was no need of inventions, such as you speak of. And besides, the prophecies are of such a kind, as that even until now time has been unable to force aside the predicted course of things, for the destruction indeed of Jerusalem took place many years ago, but there are also other predictions which extend along from that time until his coming, which examine as you please, for instance this, I am with you always, even until the end of the world, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and this gospel shall be preached unto all nations. And that which the woman, which was an harlot, did, and many others more than these, Whence then the truth of this prediction, at least if it were a forgery? How did the gates of hell not prevail against the church? How is Christ with us? For had he not been with us, the church would not have been victorious. How was the gospel spread abroad in every part of the world? They also who have spoken against us are enough to testify the antiquity of the books. I mean, such as Celius and he of... Batania, who came after him, for they, I suppose, were not speaking against books composed after their time. And besides, there is the whole world, which with one consent hath received the gospel. Now there could not have been so great an agreement from one end of the earth to the other, 
unless it had been the grace of the Spirit. But the authors of the forgery would have been quickly found out. Neither could so great excellencies have originated from inventions and falsehood. Dost thou not see the whole world coming in, error extinguished, the austere wisdom of the monks shining brighter than the sun, the choirs of the virgins, the piety among the barbarians, all men serving under one yoke, for neither by us alone were these things foretold, but also from the beginning by the prophets. For you will not, I trow, cavil at their predictions also, for the books are with their enemies, yea, with the Greeks. Through the zeal of certain men, they have been transferred into the Greek tongue. Many things, then, do these also foretell concerning these matters, showing that he was God who should come among us. Why, then, do not all believe now? Because things have degenerated, and for this we are to blame. For from hence the discourse is addressed unto us also. For surely not even then did they trust to signs alone. But by the mode of life also many of the converts were attracted. For let your light so shine before men, saith he, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And they were all of one heart and one soul. Neither said any man that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And they lived an angelic life, and if the same were done now, we should convert the whole world, even without miracles. But in the meanwhile, let those who will be saved attend to the scriptures, for they shall find there both these noble doings, and those which are greater than these. For it may be added that the teachers themselves surpass the deeds of the others, living in hunger and thirst and nakedness. But we are desirous of enjoying great luxury and rest and ease. Not so they. They cried aloud, Even unto the present hour we both hunger and thirst and are naked, and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. And one ran from Jerusalem into Illyricum, and another unto the country of the Indians, and another unto that of the Moors, and this to one part of the world, that to another, whereas we have not the courage to depart even out of our own country, but seek for luxurious living and splendid houses, and all other superfluities, for which of us ever was furnished for the word of God's sake, which ever abode in a wilderness, which ever set out on a distant peregrination. Which of our teachers hath lived by the labor of his hands to assist others? Which hath endured death daily? Hence it is that they also who are with us have become slothful. For suppose that one saw soldiers and generals struggling with hunger and thirst and death, and with all dreadful things, and bearing cold and dangers and all like lions, and so prospering, then afterwards relaxing that strictness, and becoming venerated, and fond of wealth, and addicted to business and bargains, and then overcome by their enemies, it were extreme folly to seek for the cause of all this. Now let us reason thus in our own case, and that of our ancestors, for we too have become weaker than all, and are nailed down unto this present life. 
and if one be found having a vestige of the ancient wisdom, leaving the cities and marketplaces, and the society of the world, and the ordering of others, he betakes himself to the mountains, and if one ask the reason of that retirement, he invents a plea which cannot meet with allowance. For, saith he, lest I perish too, and the edge of my goodness be taken off, I start aside. Now how much better were it for thee to become less keen, and to gain others, than abiding on high to neglect thy perishing brethren. When, however, the one sort are careless about virtue, and those who do regard it, withdraw themselves far from our ranks, how are we to subdue our enemies? For even if miracles were wrought now, who would be persuaded, or who of those without would give heed unto us, our iniquity being so on the surface? For so it is, that our upright living seems unto the many the more trustworthy argument of the two. Miracles admitting of a bad construction on the part of obstinate and bad men, whereas a pure life will have power to stop the mouth of the devil himself. Yea, and much more than so. These things I say both to governors and governed, and before all others unto myself, to the end that the way of life shown forth in us may be truly admirable, that taking our stations we may look down on all things present, may despise wealth and not despise hell, overlook glory and not overlook salvation, endure toil and labor here, lest we fall into punishment there. Thus let us wage war with the Greeks. Thus let us take them captive, with a captivity better than liberty. And while we say these things without intermission, over and over, they are realized very seldom. Howbeit be they realized or not, it is right to employ such topics by way of continual admonition. For if some are engaged in deceiving by their fair speech, so much the more is it the duty of those who allure back unto the truth, not to grow weary of speaking what is profitable. Again, if the deceivers make use of so many contrivances, spending as they do money and applying arguments and undergoing dangers and making a parade of their patronage, much more should we, who are winning men from deceit, endure both dangers and deaths in all things, that we may gain both ourselves and others, and become to our enemies irresistible, and so obtain the promised blessings, through the grace and loving kindness, etc. End of Homily 6